Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you about this statement on the screen today, unshakable. And I'm going to ask you a quick question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Uh, But how many of you are going through something right now that's shaking you up a bit? Just shaking you up. A little little shake up. All right, good, good. Uh, Probably uh, more in the first service, percentage-wise, than this one, but you're more than 915. Uh, Things come to shake us up, and they never tell us when they're coming. The real shake-ups. I mean, there's something that happened in life, like a big test you have to take, and you've already got the date. Maybe it's a, 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 a test for a promotion or a test at school, or maybe it's a physical test. You kind of know it's coming. But every once in a while, there's a shakeup. Something is thrown at us that we didn't expect. And I want to talk to you for the next seven or eight weeks, depending on how it goes, on how we can learn to be unshakable. Now, we're going to look at the life of Daniel. Daniel has an incredible life. Matter of fact, when he was 15 years of age, he was taken as a prisoner of war away from his town and away from his parents that he never saw again. Before that happened, Isaiah the prophet comes on the scene, and here's what he says in Isaiah 5, verse 20. You are doomed if you call evil good and call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. When right is considered wrong, and what's wrong is considered right, and when you claim what is bitter is now sweet, and what is sweet is now called bitter. Now, if you read that, you could say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like Israel 2,600 years ago. That kind of sounds like North America 2019. Now let me read it again. You're doomed when you call evil good and you call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness, when right is considered wrong and what's wrong is considered right. And when you claim what is bitter is now sweet and what is sweet is now bitter. You see, the children of Israel were idolizing other gods. They had veered off the path from the word of God. They'd veered off the path from the Ten Commandments. And Isaiah comes on scene and says, you will lose your freedom. It's interesting to me, and probably to you too, that sometimes people who get close to Christ and recognize that it's for freedom, Galatians 5.1, that Christ has set us free, and that Jesus Christ says, if I set you free, you're, you're free for sure, you're free indeed that people would actually go then and walk away from God and enter into rebellion, which actually becomes a new kind of bondage to them. There is no other freedom like the freedom we find in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of our sins, the erasing of our past, making us whiter than the snow. So in about 600 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, an emperor of the powerful Babylonian empire invaded Israel. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful empire of its day. And many of you know this story. 
25% of Israel was taken captive and brought into Babylon. And 25% of the best of the best were who was taken. It tells us uh, in Psalm uh, 82 about uh, the the way that uh, this rolled out. And the writer of Psalm 82 is a man by the name of Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. He was a singer and a songwriter in his day, kind of like Caleb Quay, who's going to be with us in July. You see how we segue into announcements. Hey, guys, don't miss, don't miss my friend. Uh, uh, some of you have maybe seen a Rocket Man or heard about the movie. Well, this is the guy that discovered Rocket Man. This is uh, the guy who uh, allowed Reginald Dwight to have his first meeting with Dick James. Dick James was producing the Beatles at the time, and uh, everybody wanted a time with Dick James. And Caleb is the guy that got the demo tape from Reginald Dwight, later known as Elton John, and uh, brought it to Dick James. And later on, uh, Elton became the lead guitarist for, uh, Caleb became the lead guitarist for, for Elton John and recorded with the Stones and the Beatles, just some small names, and uh, was the producer uh, engineer on the first Cat Stevens album. And Cat Stevens got free uh, studio time from Caleb Quay because Cat Stevens' dad owned a restaurant down the street. And uh, if you feed them, you get free time in a studio. So uh, that guy's going to come and talk about his freedom in Christ. And so if you've got any rock and roll friends, some of you have heard his story before, uh, but there's a whole bunch of new people that haven't heard his story yet. I'm going to invite every guitar player in every guitar music studio, uh, Lompoc School of Music and Spark, certain Sparks, and it's going to have them all come sit in the front row and let Caleb do a master class uh, for free for them. So that's part of what we're going to try to do while he's here. But it's going to be great. What does that have to do with anything? Everything. I'll tell you why. Because Asaph, the singer-songwriter, writes in Psalm 82, verse 1 to 5, God presides over the heaven's court, and he pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges hand down unjust decisions that show partiality? How long are you going to be prejudiced? Give fair judgments to the poor and to the orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the defenseless. Rescue the poor and the helpless and deliver them from heartless evil people. Because the leaders are foolish and they lack understanding. People are living in dark times and all the, come on, foundations of society are shaken to the core. You ever been shaken to the core? You got to be shaken. And it starts out with this young Daniel understanding that he's being shaken to the core. And so I'm going to begin picking up his story as kind of our background as we start uh, this series in Daniel 1, verse 1 to 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So remember Isaiah said, you'll lose your freedom. Now right here, it's happening And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and they put in the treasure house of his God. So they're taking the artifacts, the holy artifacts from the worship of God, and bringing them into Babylonia, and putting them in the temple of the lowercase g God, the small God, the idols they worship. And then he says this, then the king ordered 
uh, Aspenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any what? Physical defect. What kind of guys? Handsome guys. You see that there? Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So let me just tell you what this is. This is beauty, brains, and brawn. I only want the beautiful ones. I want the ones with, with brains. I want the ones with, with brawn. And Daniel was in that group. And the king assigned them the daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for how many years? Three years. Yeah, we're going to brainwash them for three years. We're going to indoctrinate them to forget everything about God and Israel and to adopt, indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture and theology. And then he says, among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, there's our guy, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Anybody remember those guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Those are the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. So we kind of know their outcome, at least the outcome of these four. Daniel's outcome would be incredible. And so would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not be brainwashed. They would not live under a godless theology, but they would have a theology of their God, even though they've been kept in captivity. So now, having said that, I want to give you something that I hope you will take notes. First of all, take notes. A lady in the last service said, uh, outside, she says, I never take notes, but I'm so glad I took notes. Uh, this is going to be a helpful sheet for you that you could file under T for trouble, S for storms, or S for shakeup. Okay? Put this somewhere where you don't lose it because you will need these questions. Uh, and, and I think these will help you. Number one, adversity is a part of real life. Does anybody want to say duh? You know? I woke up, came to church, so the pastor could tell me adversity is a part of real life. But see, I know people that deny their adversity. You're either dead, if you don't have adversity, dead, lying, or denying. One of those three, right? No, no adversity? If you've not ever gone through a tough season, well, actually we all have. Come on. Anybody, you've been through tough stuff? Come on. Here's what he says, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12. Let, let's read it. My friends do not... Be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. Oh my gosh, I'm having a crisis. Oh my gosh, there's a problem. No, don't, don't think that that's strange or odd. That's actually normal. Now, if you live in continual chaos, that's not normal. But for us to have difficulties and issues, well, what did Jesus say in John 16, 33? Here's what he said. In this world, you'll experience difficulties, but I've conquered the world. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be un unshakable and deeply at peace. That's where we got the word for our series. Jesus wants us to be unshakable. And by the way, this has been my prayer for the church, for my family, for my friends, for our, our wonderful police and fire department that I have the awesome uh, privilege of serving as chaplain for, for my friends uh, out at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Go team Vandenberg, come on. Okay, well, go team Vandenberg. 
Yeah. What a beautiful launch the other day that we couldn't see. I was out there at the Rod and Gun Club sitting in the bleachers, man. I could feel it. Boom. And the sonic boom, I felt it. I didn't just, I felt it. I was across the San Diego River where the Rod and Gun Club is. I was looking out there. And uh, this one gentleman, VIP, dignitary, uh, drove here all the way from Seattle. I said, sir, trust me, it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> we can't see the re-entry of the rocket, but we can sure hear it. Boy, that sonic boom. Go team Vandenberg. Come on, come on. My prayer is this, that God would bless all of us with the ability to be unshakable, even though the ground is shaking. Paul Apostle said, we are knocked down, but not knocked out. In other words, God has more for us. We're not through. We're going to make it through because God is with us. He can turn crucifixions into resurrections. I, I read that somewhere. He could take our messes and make them a message. He could take our messes and make them a ministry. So it's going to happen. Number two, look for ways that God might use it for good. You know, in the last few weeks, this has come up several times, Jeremiah 29, 11. The plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. They are plans to give you, come on, hope and a future. And we know that this very prophecy of Jeremiah was given while Daniel was in captivity in Babylon. 70 years the children of Israel were in captivity. 70 years. And in the middle of this captivity, this is when this prophecy is given. So when these promises of God come, they come at times that are shakable times. And we hold on to them because we know that God speaks them in the midst of difficult seasons. Jeremiah, uh, uh, well, let me, before I get to Jeremiah, let me just tell you this. Sometimes God shakes things up to inspect us. Now, does God know what's going on in you? Yeah. Do you always know what's going on in you? No. Uh, someone has said that people are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you drop them in some hot water. Now, I got a box of tea in my office. It's, it's good. It tells me what's on it. Open it up. I can smell it. But I really don't get the essence of what is in that tea until I put it in hot water and all of a sudden it changes the color of the water. And it changes the water into a beverage that I want to drink. You will find out what you're really made of. I'm sorry to tell you this. When you go through the tough stuff of life, I love Jeremiah 17.10. The Lord searches our hearts and examines our what? Deepest motives. You know, sometimes you don't even know your own motives. Jeremiah, this same prophet who said, God has plans for you, also said, your heart's so desperately wicked, you can't know your own heart. So if God's going to put you in hot water, it's to examine our deepest motives so he can give to each person the right reward according to how he has lived. Hmm. Do you know what I did the other day? I, I got really, uh, you know, in my mind, I was doing research on this, and I was studying, and I was reading, and... I got on Google Earth. If you've never done it, you, you need to just go on Google Earth and go look at places you've never been to before. So I punched in the Sinai Desert. And because of people uh, like Team Vandenberg, we have these satellites out there and pictures are being taken. And so 
I, 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 I looked at the distance across the Sinai Desert. Now, you remember the children of Israel? They were in the Sinai Desert for how many years? 40 years. The average human being could walk across the Sinai Desert in two and a half to three months. Google Earth told me that. Why on earth did Israel have to stay 40 years there? Because across the Sinai Desert was the promised land they were not ready to enter into. God kept taking them round and round and round and round for 40 years. Because he wanted to teach them something. He wanted to show them what was really in their heart. And their, their, their seven different tests that they had were all simply to show them what was inside their hearts, to inspect them. And so when tough stuff comes, we can always blame people or we can ask this question, why me? Have you ever said, why me? In my moment of pity party where I got my little tea set out and my lip to it, whoa, it's me, why, why me? I think we got to get rid of that question and start asking this one. What, not why, what does this problem reveal about me? Write it down. When you're going through a problem, get this sheet out. What does this problem reveal about me? And sometimes God shakes things up to correct me, to correct me. By the way, how many of you were raised in a home where there was some correction and discipline? Just curious. Okay, so you didn't raise your hand. I feel sorry for you. Yeah, I went through lots of correction and discipline in my European household. Let me just tell you. Yeah. Well, when I messed up, I meant I went, uh, yeah, I went through it. And you know what we understand is, look at Hebrews 12, 8 and 11 with me. It says, God corrects all of his who? His children. And if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. So when correction comes from the Lord, you should say, oh, great. Not why is this happening to me. No, oh great. I'm a part of God's family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Join heirs with Jesus. Cleansed by his blood. Okay, well, I was 14 at camp. We sang that song. Boy, that's an oldie but a goodie, I guess. Hey, but every time we go through correction from God, you know what that is? That's part of family. God corrects us for our own good because he wants us to be holy, holy like he is. It is never fun to be corrected. Amen, amen, amen. In fact, at time it is always painful, but no pain, no, no gain. Thank you. When I'm doing sit-ups tomorrow morning, I'll remember that. But if we learn to obey by being Corrected, we will do right and live at peace. People don't want to be corrected, especially in our day and age. Don't you dare tell me anything about my life and my choice. Hey, when God comes to knock on your door, though, and correct you, you better pay attention. Let me save you five years of pain. You want me to save you five years of pain? If God's trying to teach you a lesson, learn it now. Yes, Lord, I'm in the front row. Teach me, Lord. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm a pupil sitting right here, God. Teach me now because I don't want to repeat this class again. Ask Israel, 40 years, baby. Repeat, 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 repeat. Could have been 40 days. It's their choice, right? 
God shakes things up to correct us. I love what Hebrews 12, 26 goes on to say, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but I'll shake the heavens too. By this, he means that we, uh, he will sift out everything without the solid foundation so that only the, there's that word again. Thank, thank you, living Bible. The unshakable things will be left. So here's the question. What is this problem teaching me? What am I supposed to learn? Instead of asking why, let's ask what. Don't ask why when you go through problems. Ask what. What should I be learning? What should I be gaining here? What is God trying to teach me here? And then sometimes God shakes things up in my life to direct me. To direct me. Proverbs 16.9. Let's read this one. A person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. By the way, ladies, that's not just a, a male word. That's, that's just them, humanity. The Lord directs her steps, his steps, our steps. All of our steps are ordered by the Lord. So how does God direct your steps? Real simple. You want to know an answer? Problems. I would venture a guess that most people in here would say, I got closest to God when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We get closest to God and hear his voice the most, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley when we're desperate. Lord, you have to show me your way. Proverbs 20 verse 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Now, if you've been around the church any length of time, you've heard my story. I don't need to retell it. But for those that haven't, I'm just going to give you a couple of sentences. When I was in the ninth grade, my hero died. My, my brother, uh, Philip, was a senior in high school. And uh, when he tragically died, my world came crashing down. And I remember being of the Jewish faith, going to my rabbi and asking the rabbi, where do dead people go? He didn't have a very good answer. He said something like this, they rest in peace. That's a stupid proposition. It really is. Because either you're living in eternal life, and you're not just re rest. R.I.P. I see it everywhere. Social media. R.I.P. Friend. R.I.P. I don't want to rest. When I'm done on this planet, I, I I want to be active. I want to be worshiping the Lord. I want to be playing drums in heaven. Come on, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna try to. I'm trying to learn a guitar, so I'll want to play guitar in heaven. You know what I mean? I want I'll have a new body, man. Listen, if I got a new body in heaven and I'm looking really good, you know, I'm in shape. You think, you think I want to just rest? I want to run, man. I want to run in the presence of God. Sorry, that's just, that's just me. That's just me. And so when they said my, my brother would be resting in peace, he was a middle linebacker, uh, all CIF, and, and had a football scholarship, and he was a hiker, and uh, anything mountain, any, you know, go out and hike in the mountains in the morning. Uh, come back late at night. And so resting was not a good proposition for me. Well, here's what I know. That's what ended me up two doors down from my house into a family that happened to go to the Burbank Foursquare Church. They'd prayed for our salvation for 14 years. And I still remember the lady with her little apron with the pockets. She was making oatmeal cookies too, by the way, <laughs> when I got there. And she said these words. They didn't mean much to me then, but I, I know them now. 
She said, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. Long story short, she asked my parents, my Jewish parents, if they could, would let them send me to Camp Cedar Crest where our kids are going to go. Come on. Would you let us send them to camp? There's swimming and hiking and, and there's music. And didn't say there's church three times a day. <laughs> you know? And the older son that lived there said, hey, and Bernie, lots of girls there. <laughs> and so I went to camp looking for girls and music. Ended up finding Jesus. So much better. So much better. But listen, listen, yeah. But, but, but listen, that was a painful experience. I don't think God took my brother. A lot of people have really bad theology. You know, I, I, I say this a lot. Uh, I don't want to serve a God who takes babies to heaven because he needs them in heaven. I don't like that. Just thought I'd tell you. Uh, you know, God takes a teenager, tragic accident, uh, something horrific happens, a fight happens, and somebody puts it in the newspaper. God looked in his garden and saw that he needed a little Joey to come tend to his I don't want to serve a God who needs a 14-year-old kid to tend to his garden. If God can't tend to his own garden, I want to find another God. But here's what I do know. Sometimes in tragedy, because of the human condition, one boy hits another boy with a pipe, one boy stabs another boy, somebody drives off the road, somebody has a DUI and kills somebody. That's not God causing that to happen. But I do know this. When tragedy strikes, then God moves deeply. And he does something good with something bad. He takes horrific moments and turns them into something good. I mean, my brother, I mean, I remember looking at him in the casket. I go, really? I'm 14, man. This is not supposed to, 18-year-old boys just a few weeks away from graduation are not supposed to die. It's not supposed to be that way. But oh, I got to tell you, God was there. I still remember God showing up. And here's why I'm telling you this story. Some of you have had horrific things that have happened, and you've yet to see the fulfillment of the goodness of God. God works all things together for good. I promise you. I'm st- I'm, my story, I'm standing here, that God works all things together for good. He does. And even though something bad has happened, and it's been caused by human beings, and stupidity, and evil, and hatred, and violence, God says, you know what? I'll I'll leverage that to something good. And people will come to Christ out of it, and people will get to know me. I think of the prodigal son story. The guy hits rock bottom, and he says, I got to get back to God. Much like the psalmist in Psalm 119.59 says, I've thought about my life, and I've directed my feet back to your written instructions. So here's another question. Where's, Where's this problem leading me? Where's this problem leading me? Remember when God called uh, Jonah? He said, hey, uh, Jonah, I I want you to to go and tell the people in Nineveh about me and because of his own personal prejudice. By the way, uh, Jonah was racially prejudiced. He didn't want the people in Nineveh to know about the goodness and grace of God. How dare he? So God says, well, I've got a plan. I'll create a problem. I'm going to lead this guy after all. And he creates this, this incredible fish. Some people say it was a big shark. Some people say it was a certain kind of whale that eats people. I don't know what it was. They tell us in that region, however, there were big shark-like creatures that could swallow horses. So I, I can hang with the story. Yeah. And sometimes you get swallowed up by a big problem. 
And when it spits you out, you are headed in the right direction. But if I was a preacher, we would have had fun with that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect me, to protect me. I'll never forget this. I'm on the 101. I'm driving northbound. The meeting in LA that I was involved with, with our four-square denomination, went long, and I knew I was going to be stuck in traffic. I kept telling, like, like, hurry up the agenda. Most of you guys live in like Glendale, Burbank, Pasadena. I live in Lompoc. You know, I got to get on the, the 101, and I got to get out. Of, I got to get out of Dodge, man. And if you don't get out by a certain time, some of you know this. You're doomed. And then right near Carpinteria, my check engine light comes on. What on earth is this? So I did what any uh, guy would do. I pulled off the road. The car was starting to to misfire a little bit. I opened up the hood. See, that's what we do. Ladies, you didn't notice about We open up the hood like we know what we're doing. (laughs) And my car, it's a 2010. It's not like new, new, but it's got computers and injectors and stuff. See, I can work on an old engine. Where you just have spark plugs, you know, points and condenser. Come on, any old guys, points and condenser. You can really check, you can actually get to the dipstick and check the oil. And I got all this computerized stuff and the lights in check engine, check engine. And I'm on the side of the road. And can I just tell you this? I'm having an unholy moment. <laughs> Traffic's bumper to bumper. I'm off somewhere near the lemon groves of carp, and, and I just, I just want to get home. I left at 4 a.m. that morning to beat the traffic into L.A. Now I want to get home. I just want to get home. Sit on my couch and be in charge. <laughs> be in control. With the control. And I'm sitting there, and I go, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why my hood up. Some guy pulls by. You need help? I don't know. <laughs> it's telling me check engine. He goes, oh, I, I don't know anything about those kind of cars. I, I just... And, He had an old, uh, like a 69 Chevy C10 pickup with a straight six cylinder. I mean, that's easy. I could fix that. But I couldn't, I don't, I don't know a thing about this. So I did what any smart man would do. I turned off the car. And what do we do with our computers sometimes? You ever do it? Yeah, reboot, restart, refresh, re-something, right? Turn your phone off and turn it back on. Ooh, it's working. And guess what? I turned off my engine, and I turned it back on, fired right up, check engine light was off. Ooh, that's because I opened the hood, see? (laughs) Got on the freeway, bumper to bumper, and all of a sudden, just outside a car, horrific trash, a crash, five cars involved. They shut down the 101. Two helicopters were landing. They were airlifting people out to Cottage Hospital. And I said, oh God, I am so sorry that I was near cussing because my check engine light came on. But Lord, could it be that you used that problem to protect me? Could it, could it, could it be? Uh, could it be? I'm not saying every time you ever had a flat tire, God was keeping you from an accident. But he might have been. Or every time you had a problem in your life, you were about to engage with something or someone or do something or make a decision, but the problem kept you at bay from making that decision, and the problem actually saved you pain or crisis or drifting away from God. So sometimes God will use it to protect you, and sometimes God shakes things up to perfect me, to perfect me. 
Growth is faster and deeper, often during your darkest days. Where there is, come on, no pain there's, there's no gain. And pain is the high cost of growth. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself what? What? Come on. Come on. Say it again. I got, I got old ears. Come on. He will perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. So you could say, God, don't send me any more problems. And that's kind of our prayer, isn't it? But, he, but here's what I'd like you to pray. God, God, send me whatever you need to perfect me. And then we ask this question. How can I grow from this problem? How can I grow from this problem? Hey, look at that checklist. How God wants to inspect you. He wants to correct you. He wants to protect you. He wants to direct you. How he wants to perfect in you his heart. We're going to see it in the life of Daniel in the coming weeks. But you're probably wondering what the last point is. Well, it's trust God for what I don't understand. I can't tell you how many times in my 40 years of ministry people want me to interpret a dream. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. I had a dream the other night. Can, you want me to tell you about it? Yeah, I was in Sacramento at a restaurant. Now, I've only been in Sacramento twice in my life. But I remember going to this, uh, to this uh, important occasion there. It was a California police chief's gathering, and I had the honor of being there. And uh, we went to a really nice restaurant before the thing, and it was, it was just great. And so then I had this dream. I'm sitting in the restaurant, linens around the table, and the governor, Governor Newsom, walks in and sits at my table. Imagine that. And Caleb Quay, my friend who's going to become, he comes in and sits at my table. And Tommy Walker, my other friend, music friend, comes in and sits at my, my table. And then Napoleon Kaufman, my dear friend, comes and sits at the table. I'm just, oh, it was so great. And they all looked at me and they said, uh, Pastor, we're glad you're here. Tell us what we should do. That was in my dream. I woke up. I was so freaked out. So after the service, I'll be out front. If you could interpret that dream for me. Uh, rock and rollers, worship leaders, and the governor with the pastor at the table. And by the way, they didn't bring us bread or anything in my dream. We were all there, and our water glasses were all empty. That's the dream you figured out. Well, let me just tell you, not being too silly here, but there are things that happen in your... You just don't understand. And this side of heaven, you won't understand. You're going to have a challenge. You're going to have a problem in your life. You're just not going to understand. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? And I think a lot of people miss the presence and the power of God because they're trying to understand every minute detail of what's going on. Can I just tell you this? There's stuff you're not going to know, and there's stuff you're not supposed to know. Well, that was really good. Uh, yeah. There's stuff you're not... No, you don't know. Uh, but there's stuff you're not supposed to know. Because if God told you everything about why what's happening to you, you would probably implode upon yourself. So have you noticed? God gives you incremental revelation. There, here, this is what you need to know now. Oh, oh, I can trust you. I'll give you more. You could know. And then you go, Lord, I don't know what about tomorrow. That's why tomorrow has enough people worrying about it already. You wait. Tomorrow I'll give you a little bit more. And he gives you more. 
And, oh, here, here's a month's worth. Ah, good. And then he doesn't tell you anything. Why? Because he wants to see if you'll do this. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, and then we'll pray. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Hey, when stuff is shaking you up, don't you dare miss this. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some of your heart, all your heart. You know what the word all means? In the original Hebrew, see, you guys are so smart. It means all. (laughs) Every ounce, every stitch. Lord, I lay it all on the line. I'm all in. I trust you. Don't depend on your own understanding. Let me tell you, there are people I know right now that are depending on their own understanding. And everybody around them is is starting to say things like, can't they they see the truth? Really? And they start believing. Listen, listen, I know some people like this. They start believing what they say because they said it so often. And everybody around them that knows them going, we don't believe any of that. You want to be one of those who says, you know what? I don't understand everything, but I know who does. And I trust in God. I know whom I believe in. I'm, I'm persuaded he's able. I know the God of promises. Honor the Lord in everything you do, and he will, he will, come on, give you success. So sometimes God shakes us up to inspect us, sometimes to correct us, sometimes to direct us, sometimes to protect us but always to perfect us. Hey, I would really ask you to highly consider who you're going to bring to church next week. Because we want to fill seats? No. Because I'm praying hard that people in our community would live lives that are unshakable. That when stuff is rocking around us, we could say, no, I got got this because God's got me. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.